Tonight we're going to talk about something that I really like. Um, I've titled this sermon tonight, Love and Misunderstanding. Set that down so I don't play with it while I'm talking. I've titled this sermon, Love and Misunderstanding. This title actually comes from the first time I ever wrote out my whole life testimony. I was about 22 years old. I was graduating from college. And one of my courses to be, become a pastor, to become a youth pastor... Um, was to write out my testimony, write out my story of how I came to know God, and and give it a title. And this is actually the title I chose. And the reason I chose it, we'll talk about a little bit, but two weeks ago I talked and and, and we shared about what it means and, and the call God gives us to share our faith. That there's an intrinsic command of being Christians, of, of loving Jesus, that we ought to share that with the world. Now, we do it in all different ways, and we do it all different kinds, but since sharing that sermon in the morning and in the evening here, a couple of people have come to me and actually shared stories of pretty harsh rejections they've had. A couple of people came to me. One person actually uh, showed me his phone, and, and he mentioned that uh, he was praying for a friend of his and sent him um, a, a message and a, and a scripture on WhatsApp, and then the friend sent back a very, very vulgar message and said, you keep sending me this religious stuff, I'll keep sending you this vulgar stuff. And, you know, it kind of prompted me to share what we're going to talk about tonight. In the passage in Acts, Peter has actually just had his vision. If you remember this story, God gives him a vision of a sheet of all these animals. Uh, with the, Previously, they weren't supposed to eat as Jews. And, and God tells Peter, hey, this is okay. This is okay now. And then the other thing he shows and tells Peter is that, hey, um, you should go and meet with these Gentiles who are going to come and ask for you. And so when Peter does, then he goes, he meets at the house of a man named Cornelius, and he shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, what we just read, was the outpouring of that. All of the Jews, it says the circumcised believers, which just means the Jewish believers, saw for the first time since Pentecost, these new believers, these new Gentile believers, with the Holy Spirit upon them, and they were amazed. And what's amazing about this is that sometimes sharing our faith is just that easy. We share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and and we're in a setting, and we're in a place where God has sort of set it up, and, and it goes well, and people come to Christ. I've had times in my life, whether it be at youth camps or or church events or even just a a very, very special meeting with someone where they were so open to the gospel. But the the reality kind of comes in when we try and we fail, when something like that doesn't happen, because it doesn't always go so smoothly. As Christians, it doesn't even mean we have to be sharing our faith verbally as an evangelist would, but we just try to live a good life and we encounter opposition. And tonight, I want to read a passage uh, from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And this is just after Jesus has shared the whole thing about being the vine and the branches and being connected to him. And Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 15, we'll start in verse 9 and we'll read the first half now and then the second half later. He says, John chapter chapter 15, starting in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and, you may, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that he lay his life down for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask me in my name. This is my command. Love each other. He goes on in verse 18 to say, But if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would have loved you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but, you have chosen, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they hated me both, hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. In this passage, Jesus starts out really, really encouraging, doesn't he? He starts out in verse 9 saying, hey, remain with me, guys. He's getting ready to leave them, and he says, stay with me, remain with me, abide in my love. And what's, when I first read this, I, was, I first thought to myself, you know, how did... He says, you know, remain with me the way my father loved me. And I was thinking about Jesus' relationship to God and his life. And I just remembered how through everything Christ did in prayer and in scripture and in going to God, God was with him. God remained with Christ through all he endured. Think of the Garden of Gethsemane, how Jesus spent the night praying before his crucifixion. To, to gain the strength and the courage to go forward. And Jesus says in verse 10, how are we to do this? How are we to remain close to God? By keeping the commands, by doing the work, the good things God has set before us. You know, this spring, we spent a few months talking about the fruit of the Spirit. That's a big part of the work. That's a big thing that comes out of our life. You know, prayer, as I just mentioned, is another one we saw from Jesus' example. Being in Scripture is another one. Jesus, when tempted, quotes Scripture. We can always be close to God in the midst of joy or in the midst of trial. You know, prayer is one of those things where having people pray for you just encourages you so much. And Jesus says that we do these things so that we might be joyful. This is what the whole world pursues, isn't it? The whole world is trying to find joy. You know, I love sunny days in Zurich, and I love all of the wonderful things. And, and, and sometimes when, when you walk around and you see these throngs of people, just people all over the place, you wonder, what's motivating these people? You know, what, what brings joy to their life? And for everyone, it's different. 
But Jesus tells us here that if we really want joy, that we ought to love one another. That we ought to love one another selflessly, perfectly, without need of repayment, without a transactional relationship, but to love others as He loved us. In verse 13, He says that we would lay down our lives for one another. What we saw on Easter, what we celebrated five weeks ago. And He says in verse 15, then, if you do these things, when you do these things, you're no longer servants. You're friends. So go then, love one another. This is the command. You know, and it's so great. And I really, really wish Jesus had just stopped this narrative there. I really wish that John, in writing this, had just stopped this narrative there. Because then it's this idea of, great, we just love one another. We, we care, we do our best, it's fine, it's good, no problem. But is that all we need? You know, if, if you've been around me a while, you've probably heard me once or twice make a joke about hippies. Um, I think hippies, it's just a funny thing coming from California, you know, and, and, and my mom was, is, is kind of a hippie. And, you know, I love the whole idea of peace and love, right? We all have a little bit of this understanding that all we really need is peace and love in this world. You know, in July 1967, the Beatles released a single that went on to be one of their most famous songs. Um, and you'll know what it is when I start reading the lyrics, but I'm going to read the lyrics. And um, I wish, well, I'll just read the lyrics. It says, there's nothing you can do that can't be done. Nothing you can sing that can't be sung. Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the game. It's easy. Nothing you can make that can't be made. This is a really interesting line. No one you can save that can't be saved. Which begs the question, can we actually save anyone? Nothing you can do, but you can learn how to be in time. It's easy. All you need is love. All you need is love. On and on and on and on and on. All you need is love. And it's really nice. And I'm going to be honest with you, and I, it's not that I'm not a fan of the Beatles, so if there's anyone out here who's a crazy big Beatles fan, I'm sorry if I'm offending you, but it's not true. I want that song to be true. I want that to be all we need, but it's not. Because the theology of John Lennon, as much as I like many of his songs he wrote, does not address the topic of sin. This song, All We Need Is Love, is great, and it's an idealistic view of the world, but it does not acknowledge the sin of the world. If you look at verse 22, what does Jesus say for one of the reasons he came? Verse 22, he says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, because of Jesus, because of what Jesus said, because of what Jesus did, the people of the world, all of us, have no excuse for our sin. Part of the reason Jesus came was yes to love and was yes to care and to welcome and to treat others the way they want to be treated. But part of it also was to reveal the sin of the world, to reveal the pain and the hurt of the world. And in doing so, he actually loved us fully. He loved us in a way that no one else could love us. Because even though we have been saved by grace through Christ, that we might love others, Christ wants us to know why. 
that we were sinners. We are sinners. And we don't just love one another because we're human beings. We love one another because Christ died for that person. And now, just hear me here. Don't go around pointing out others' sins. Don't be one of those people, please, that goes around yelling from the the street corners that you're all sinners. It's fine if you do, I guess, but just make sure to confess your sins first before you confess and, and point out anyone else. Let Jesus confess or convict people of their sin. Why don't we be people who instead go around pointing other people to Jesus so that he might do that? And that in their sin, we are people who might love them and care for them because we can empathize with that person because we are sinners. Because we have been there. Because we are still there. When you look at the second part of this text, I just jumped ahead to verse 22, but you look at the second part of this text, this is why the world hated Jesus. You know, if Jesus was just all about love, if Jesus was just all about healing and miracles, the world would have accepted him and welcomed him and it would have been great. But in the midst of those miracles and in the midst of those teaching, he held up a mirror to people. He held up a mirror and said, this is who you really are. This is what's in your heart. And people didn't like it. And so they said, listen, Jesus, hey, you're a great prophet, you're a nice guy, but we don't really want anything to do with this teaching. We are not of this world, he says. We are not of this world, and so our goals cannot be the same as this world. The world wants peace and love and harmony, and that's fine. Those are good things. But if it's not done with God as the center and with God and Christ as our goal, it's empty. Because like I said, seeing someone else as a human being, honestly, maybe I'm selfish, is not enough for me to lay my life down for them just because they're human. You know, there has to be more. I am more likely, honestly, if there was no Jesus in this world, I would be more likely to lay my life down for a dog than a stranger who's a person. I love dogs. I think dogs are great. You ever notice how in movies we see people die all the time in movies and we're sort of like, uh-huh. but then if a dog dies in a movie, it's just, it's just a tear fest? Humanity is not enough to tie us together. People think we can love each other selflessly, but we just can't without Christ. I, I just don't know if I could. This is where John Lennon's theology falls short. We need to love other people because Christ died for them, not just because they're people. And when you look at these verses, what Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's not just saying, go love other people. He's saying, love other people in my name, under my authority, in my teaching. Go and serve people the way I served you. You know, verse 20 is a little confusing because he calls his people servants again. I don't know if you noticed that. And John, he he quotes something from just a little bit before. And in John 13, 16, he's actually quoting. If you look at uh, verse 20, that's okay, go to 20. He says, remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater. You're like, well, wait a minute, you just said we're no longer servants. Why are you calling us servants again? You know, the Bible's kind of funny this way, but what he's basically saying is this, is we are still servants to one another. Jesus said that line after washing the disciples' feet. And what he's saying is essentially this, that the way Christ came and served us, the way we have been invited into the banquet as friends, we now go out and invite others in that way. We go and we serve the world in that way. He said, I brought you in, now go and bring others in. 
You know, and many of us know this to be true. I've shared this story with many of you. I became a youth pastor initially because that's when I became a Christian. And my youth pastor and my youth leaders meant so much to me, I wanted to share that same grace I was given. You know, my parents are involved with recovery ministry and work with people from addiction. They do that work because God delivered them from addiction, and so they want to go and help other people. You know, loving people like Jesus is pretty simple. We just give others the same grace we have been given. If you know what it is to overcome a sin of some kind, go and find someone else who is struggling with that same sin and help. Even when you are rejected, as Christ was. Because when we do this, when we love people and people see Jesus, it is difficult because Jesus shows them their sin. And this is why love is not enough. We need to point people to Jesus because Jesus is the only one who can conquer their sin. Jesus is the only one who can conquer the darkness in our lives. Jesus did not just come to love. He came to bring repentance. You know, and I don't know, maybe a pop song about repentance would not have been as popular. You know, I joke about this too. I call it sometimes that the world wants love and peace and harmony, the result of what Jesus brought without the hard work. You know, it's, it's, it's like the mob wife scenario. I want all the fancy things, but I don't want to know where it came from. I want, I want the nice fur coat, but I don't want to hear how you got it. <laughs> this is what the world wants. The world wants everything God offers without doing the work. The world wants love, but they don't know where it really comes from. They don't know that love came from sacrifice of the Son of God for their sake. And so they hate Jesus. And so they turn from him. And if, they, if the world turns from you because of your faith, do not take it personally. If you are rejected, they are actually rejecting God according to Jesus. And so it's, it's their own fault. Jesus has held up a mirror to their face, and the people that reject God say, no, thank you. They're rejecting the very image they were made in. This is why a few weeks ago I said very clearly that the gospel of Jesus Christ is very offensive. And when I talk about being gracious to other people, I want you to think also that we as human beings are often very harsh with the things we don't understand. We're very harsh with the things we can't understand or wrap our brain around. If you think about the history of the world and all the wars that have been fought and all the conflict going on, much of that was because people just didn't understand one another. They assumed something about the other side. They assumed something about another person that may or may not have been true. And this is, I think, what a lot of people do with God. They just assume one thing or another. They think one thing or another. They hear something in the media and they think that is God. So when you hear about someone else, when you think about someone else, when you see someone who may not know Christ, maybe it's someone in your very family, give grace. You know, I'm a huge, huge, huge Lord of the Rings fan. And there's a quote in the books that I absolutely love when I think about this, and it's the inner monologue of Sam, the optimistic gardener who always has the rosy outlook in life. And it's the first time he ever sees death. And this is the inner monologue that happens. It says, it was Sam's first view of a battle of men against men, and he did not like it much. He was glad he could not see the dead face. He wondered what the man's name was, where he came from, and if he was really evil of heart, or what lies or threats had led him on the long march from his home. 
and if he would really rather have stayed there in peace. I always think about this whenever I think about someone else's perspective. Do they really hate God? Or maybe they just fed a lie about God. Do do they really hate me? Or maybe do they just have a perception about me that's just not true? How can I understand this person? You know, maybe people, when they reject God, we have to consider maybe they were manipulated, hurt, abused by someone who claimed the name of God or Jesus Christ. Maybe uh, those who oppose us are not actually evil, but they're hurt and they're scared. And they need grace and patience. They need encouragement. Maybe you are here now and you hear this and you wonder, maybe I'm a little scared. Maybe I'm wondering if God really accepts me. Maybe I have some darkness in my life. Maybe, Maybe Psalm 139, many of us know it, and it's a fantastic, fantastic passage about the power of the forgiveness of God. Psalm 139, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. We can always be with Jesus because he can always bring light. And you can always, if you are a Christian, share the grace of Jesus Christ with others because you bear with you the light of Christ that can take away all darkness. This is why I talk about love and misunderstanding. God is constantly trying to give love to the world. God is constantly trying to bring light to the world. And the world just doesn't understand it. Our venue, our avenue is to bring that understanding to the world as best we can because the world is being crushed. The world is being oppressed by their own lies they're believing and by not accepting the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, I have one more quote I want to share with you. And it's from a song, and I know I've shared it before in here, maybe a year or so ago. But it's from one of my favorite songs, and it talks about being crushed by sin and God breaking in. It says, I went on the search for something real, traded what I know for how I feel. But the ceiling and the walls collapsed, and upon the darkness I was trapped. And as the last of breath was drawn from me, the light broke in and brought me to my feet. Brothers and sisters, God is trying to break into the darkness of this world to bring his children back to their feet. The world cannot see it because they have believed lies or they've been misunderstood or they've listened to people they shouldn't have. And our job is to bring that light, even if we're rejected, God says, I will always be with you. And it's because that Jesus has revealed our sin to us that we know others need to know about who Jesus is. It's because we know how powerful it is to find forgiveness that we bring forgiveness to others. The world is being collapsed and suffocated, and God is trying to break in to bring light. Will you join him? Will we abide in him? Will we go into this battlefield of the world to bring love and truth? And my prayer for us is that we would all have the courage to bring light into the darkest places of this world. Please pray with me. Lord God, we are your church whom you love. Scripture tells us that we are the bride. 
You are the bridegroom. In, in response to your unconditional, unfailing love, Lord, we confess that we have not been perfect. And Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to fill us with wisdom and strength. That we would try to bring understanding to the world where there has been so much misunderstanding. That through the realization of you forgiving us, that we would give grace to those who need forgiveness. That we would love that we would be merciful, we would be just. And in all these things, Lord, that we would reflect the image you have set inside of us. Lord, I thank you for this truth. I thank you for Jesus, his unwavering commitment to you. Lord, I thank you for love, and I also thank you for the power of repentance. You are good, and your mercies endure forever. Amen.